Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino. John Copenhaver and Al Warren. 102.3 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Hey, welcome back into the House of Mystery, and this and it's the Kent State Shootings 50 Years Later. And that's Robert Giles. Thank you for being here, Bob. You're welcome. I'm very happy to have an opportunity to talk about when truth mattered on your program. So um, what, what encouraged you to write When Truth Mattered? Well, I've been living with this story for 50 years. I was managing editor of the Akron Beacon Journal, in 1970 and directed the coverage and uh, so I have lived with the story thought about it talked to people about it but I never thought about writing it until very uh, last year or two when some of my author friends here in, in Traverse City Michigan started to tell me that I needed to tell this story because in part all, most of the people who worked with me at the newspaper, have died. And I had the last, one of the last institutional memories. So that was, a, that was an inspiration. And, of course, the fact that it's been 50 years and there was a commemoration schedule that's now been canceled to mark um, that sad event. And I wanted to be able to tell how a great journalism story played into the public understanding of what happened at Kent State. So, so maybe um, refresh the memory, and we've got a lot of 
younger listeners too that May 1970 was a long time ago for them and they probably weren't around. What exactly uh, happened? The Kent State story uh, begins with President Nixon's speech announcing that he was sending troops into Cambodia. This occurred during the middle of the week before May 4th. But it, and it set off uh, riots and demonstrations around the country on college campuses. And that was true at Kent State. Students had their own uh, riots. They uh, burned down the ROTC building on Saturday night. The governor, James Rhodes, came to town. And then on Monday, uh, they planned a, uh, a demonstration against the war. The governor issued a decree that said there will be no gatherings on campus, peaceful or otherwise. And one of the funny sidelights about that is that somebody said, Governor, what's a, what do you consider a protest? And he said, two people walking together. So, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of uh, confusion about the meaning of the, of the governor's statement. But on Monday, the demonstration evolved. The students were uh, on the campus. They were yelling at the National Guard, giving them the finger, tossing a few rocks and stones. And the guard pushed them uh, away and, and followed them and then basically thought that they, they had done their job of dispersing the students. And, and many of the students thought that, too. So as the guard was returning to its, uh, its bivouac area, all of a sudden it, several of the members turned and fired at the students. They killed four. They wounded nine. And that became a really stark message that the Vietnam War had come home. So now, 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 you you decided in this book that um, you were going to tell the the what and why. So why why did they shoot people? Nobody knows the answer to that. Uh, the guards, the guard officers, and the, some of the guardsmen claimed afterwards that they felt their lives were in danger because the students were throwing rocks and pressing in on them. Uh, we, in our reporting, we basically disproved that claim. So that was one of the things that we exposed that has has created this uh, our ability to say um, there was no reason for the guard to shoot at these kids. And of course, when you think about it, they killed them. Some several people said to me they killed our children. And there has, no one has been held accountable, and there was no justice uh, in this, you know, Americans value the system of justice. Well, there was no justice in this case. So all of that reality stayed with me for 50 years. And uh, I thought that the journalism, the Bacon Journal did, was, was great journalism, and that country needs to know about that at a time when the press is under attack and when truth telling has become very important 
So that's kind of um, alludes to the title of When Truth Mattered. Um, you, you talk about uh, how it's been unchallenged and, and unchanged for five decades. Um, how, how do you apply that to now? Can, can you trust the news, and can you trust what you hear and see now? If, if, you, if you go to the right sources of news, I think you get an, a truthful and honest report. But there, is, there are other voices that are trying to tell a different story. And when you're dealing with something as serious as this virus, you're, you will encounter people who have false claims. Or they want to promote some uh, commercial uh, uh, sale of a <clears throat> of a, um, a new cure or something like that. There are a lot of there are a lot of opportunities for misinformation or disinformation from people who are who who are have it as their purpose to do that. So it takes a very good uh, rigorous reporting. Um, journalists who have paid attention, who under, who are knowledgeable uh, about the disease or the virus, uh, and who have dependable sources they can they can rely upon, uh, and <clears throat> those are the those are the uh, kinds of news sources that today's viewers, readers, listeners have to have to depend on to get a clear picture of what is happening and what is not happening. So do you think that the media has changed? Like 50 years ago in 1970, uh, when, when the media sources, newspapers and television back then, were um, broadcasting about Kent State and, and the shooting there and things like that, when you compare that to today, um, do you find that the mainstream media, the, the, the network media and papers that survived, have really changed, or are they still doing the same job? Well, in some way, they're doing the same job if they adhere to the values that are, are at the core of their work. But if you think about the, the kind of journalism that was being done in 1970, you had three big networks. You had a couple of national newspapers, and you had, you had radio, and you had a very strong uh, local news report. The value of local news was was central to how people got their news back in 1970. If Kent State had happened tomorrow, social media would have would become the dominant way that people get their information. Uh, there would have been protesters and witnesses and people who were opposed to the pro protesters all carrying iPhones, and they would have recorded uh, that terrible event, and that would have been uh, at the heart of the original reporting. And then after uh, the dust settled, so to speak, the mainstream media and, and their own values would have come into play, and you would have begun to get a more accurate 
uh, and complete account of what went on. But during the early hours when social media was dominating the reporting, a lot of misinformation would have become established in the public mind. And that would have been hard to overcome. But the, the local papers like ours would have stayed to their true to their values and would have given the public a, a story that was as truthful as they possibly could. Yeah, with social media now and, and, and everyone's access to it and both broadcasting it and listening and watching it, how, how is it that we can regulate this, or should we, and, and what can we do to, to really um, um, protect ourselves from, from fake news, so to speak? Well, we can't, we can't regulate it. Uh, the Constitution and the First Amendment prevents that. But what we have to hope is, A, that you get uh, leading editors, leading news directors, who are wedded to the value, to the core values of journalism: accuracy, truth, um, and uh, that they that they're that they're they can and can bring coverage that will be have the, tell the honest story. And uh, over time, I believe that doing doing it the right way. Will uh, will build the trust uh, that um, that you have to have between your viewers, your audience, and your news organization. Uh, and I think that uh, my my belief always has been that the marketplace will determine how the how the information is received and how it is acted on. So that if you had a story like Kent State, where you, and you had a newspaper that was in, intensely well prepared, had had covered demonstrations over several years at Kent State, that they would, their they had would have built up a trust with their reading audience that would have believed and accepted what the paper said was the best version available of the truth. And they also would have given the paper an acknowledgement that that they could their stories were uh, the effort that went into their stories was was uh, acceptable. They trusted that effort, uh, and so over time, uh, the truth would out. Um, it, it's much more difficult today because you have. Um, the news has been politicized, the press is under attack, there are well-organized institutions that are trying to demean the, 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 the role of the press, uh, that politics is so much engaged in trying to dis dismiss the value of uh, what serious journalists and serious journalist organizations are attempting and, in many cases, succeeding in doing. You know, back in 1970, when the Kent State shooting happened, um, was there the same type of um, 
you know, um, conspiracy theories and, and stories that were coming out of that that uh, were, were going. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Around the country as well, I, I'm sure not as rampant as it does with the internet now, but uh, was there still that kind of uh, underground? Well, there were, there were a, a, a lot of, clump, of claims that the communists were behind uh, the, the demonstrations across campuses against the war. So that, that was one element. Um, there was uh, a, in the case of Kent State, there was, that, that conspiracy theory was being mentioned by people who opposed the student demonstrations. They wanted to blame it on the Students for Democratic Society or the Black United Students or other organizations that were opposed to the war and, and opposed to their way of looking at politics and and the world. Um, 
There also were some uh, claims uh, about the cause of the shootings that our newspaper exposed. One of them was that there was a sniper. The, uh, the National Guard commanders, almost immediately after the shootings, during all the pandemonium that resulted from that terrible moment, tried to claim that there had been a sniper who had fired on the guard, and that's why they turned and shot. Well, we did an investigation that disproved that claim of a, of a sniper, and basically that argument uh, went away. Um, and But it was all part of a, of a detailed effort by the National Guard and to some degree by the university uh, to... The, as well as the governor, uh, who wanted to shift the blame from the guard and lay it on the protesters. One of the major stories that we published several weeks after, it was in, actually in July, uh, we got a copy of a summary of a report by the Federal Bureau of Investigation that confirmed that the guards' lives were not endangered. They did not have to shoot to control and scatter the crowd. So that was a blockbuster story. It went all over the country. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who was head of the FBI, got involved with Jack Knight, who owned our paper. Uh, it was quite a story, but in fact, it it was, and what was so stunning about it was you had a major federal investigating agency like the FBI criticizing the performance and the behavior of another government agency, the National, Ohio National Guard. And that set up a conflict in the minds of many people. Uh, we got letters and phone calls from people who were canceling the paper on the basis of that story they would say, how dare you? How dare you criticize the National Guard in this way? So the, the, the fact was that there was a, a heavily, deeply divided public in 1970 over the Vietnam War, and, and the, the, the outspoken students and, and others who were protesting the war, and it led to a, a widespread outrage uh, that that uh, was prevalent almost everywhere. So when you have a singular event like Kent State, it tended to focus all of the anger and all of the opposition on on that one story. And of course, that's part of what I'm trying to tell in in my book. So when you talk about that deep divide back in 1970 and and over the war. Um, wasn't it? Is it sort of like what the divide is now today over over um, politics, so to speak, like Trump and anti-Trump? And uh, do you find it very comparable? Well, in some ways, it's comparable simply because the press the press is part of what's being argued over. But in 1970, you had a tra single tragic event. There were other 
uh, other demonstrations that was that um, made for a, a extended uh, protest around the country about the war, about the draft, and so on. But it was there was no singular event. There was no there was no singular event today, except perhaps the developing story over the virus. We'll see how that plays out in terms of uh, the government and the and the press, and whether the country eventually comes to depend on on serious reporting by the press to to, to give them the true story of what's happening in our hospitals, in our states, in our, in our, at the White House and our national government. Um, but up until that, um, I would say there's been no singular event like there was at Kent State. Well, what has happened in, in, the, in the current time has to do more with a political uh, effort to demean the press and use the press as a as a as a target for a political purpose. Um, that's different from a situation in which four students were killed. How how did the groups like the National Guard back in 1970 actually um, get their theories out? Like the kind of like when you say they were trying to turn the opinion. Um, against the, the the students, uh, how did they spread that kind of rumor back then? Because there was no internet. No, there wasn't. That came from interviews. Our reporters uh, confronted uh, the the guard commanders and and their leading officers. And how did this happen? What happened? And that's when the claim was expressed uh, that there had been a sniper. That was the first one. Uh, and then the, the, the other claim immediately was, well, our, our, our soldiers felt their lives were in danger. And, and under military practice, a soldier is permitted to shoot if he feels his life is in danger. Well, we, we published, and, and there, was, there were three young photo- student photographers who took uh, iconic photographs that be, have become very famous. I'm sure you're familiar with the one by John Philo of the young woman with her arms in the air screaming over the dead body of Jeff Miller. Well, there were several pictures that had equal power. And, and what those pictures, as I, I explain in my book, what those photographs do is demonstrate that the, that the students were nowhere near the guardsmen in a way that could be said their lives were being threatened. So um, that's, a, that's a, another part of the, if you want to call it exposés, that came out of the journalism. The three student photographers who shot these wonderful photographs, or revealing photographs, that have helped, helped establish the truth that the guardsmen were really not endangered by the students. The students were expressing their First Amendment right to be a, to uh, demonstrate in opposition to the war. And the, the Guard should have been protective of that. And in trying to break up the rally, they also should have 
followed the first dictum of crowd control, which is do no harm. Uh, so, um, so that's that's how uh, we look at looked at it then, now, and then. Uh, that in our relentless search for the truth, these are several attempted cover-up actions that the guard took. Mostly, it was the guard that took uh, and to try to lay the blame on the protesters. So, uh, in in 1972, I mean, things were um, in a in a kind of an unrest as well. Like things were not uh, like a lot of people talk now that uh, so many things are happening and the world's ending and there's all this upset and panic and all this stuff. But things were happening a lot in the late 60s and, and early 70s as well, which people had the same feeling. Wasn't that kind of... There were a lot of demonstrations on college campuses in the late 70s. There were also the urban riots. You had the Detroit riot, the Newark riot. Uh, and and uh, those were singular events, but the, the protests against the war that were that took place on the college campuses, you had Columbia and you had Harvard and you had other places, um, these were all done relatively peacefully. Nobody was killed. And that's a, that's a tipping point in trying to understand why the focus has been on Kent State for 50 years. Um, the other places, uh, Harvard, they took over the university administration building and did other things, and the police were involved and so on. But th those those demonstrations were carried out peacefully, and so uh, relatively peacefully. And so now you have a singular event where American boys in the National Guard shot and killed four students. Now, I want to be clear, too. Like uh, Those four were, were never charged or, or sent to jail, or no, nobody ever was. Well, the, uh, of course, the dead students, two, two of the dead students were on their way to class. They were not involved in the protest. Two of the dead students, we have uh, photographs in the, in the book uh, of they were part of the group that was yelling, uh, stick the pigs and so on, uh, but based that they were uh, they were trying to get um, they were trying to get uh, uh, the students were trying to get uh, the guard to leave. The, the students were really upset because they considered the National Guard to be intruders on their campus. They thought that this is our campus. We have a right to protest against the war and the draft. And the National Guard has no business invading our campus and telling us that we can't have a, a First Amendment Act uh, demonstration. So that those were some of the elements there uh, that gave the gave the, the, the uh, special nature of this demonstration uh, the cachet that it's had for 50 years. So what do you hope people walk away with and, and get from the book when they read it? Well, I hope it, t 
it gives them uh, <clears throat> a sense of how a, a, a single local newspaper found the truthful uh, truthful evidence that has framed the public understanding of this tragedy for a half century. Also, I hope that the book will give help give closure to a tragedy that the courts and the community could never achieve. Uh, because I th and I think the book is a powerful reminder that truth did matter. Well, it's a fantastic book, and uh, we will have it on our website so people listening can just do one click and pick up the book. Um, Thank you. Now, now our guest is the author, uh, Robert Giles, and the book is called When well, Truth Matters. Al, if I could, yeah. I'd like to compliment you for uh, the insights and uh, the preparation that has obviously gone into your questions in our discussion today. Thank you for that very much. Well, of course, and, and thank you. Uh, great book and great work. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, all shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.